bees don't waste their time explaining to flies why honey is better than shit. So just remember that the next time someone comes up to you and tries to destroy your dreams. Today's episode of The Best Money I Ever Spent is with someone that I've wanted to talk to in depth with about his life experiences and his professional career for a while now. Professional table tennis player, Wally Green. He's led a really interesting life. We tried to pack as much of that in 35 minutes as possible, but he's had a really transformative journey that started with an abusive environment in public housing in Brooklyn, finding a sport very unexpectedly in ping pong that opened a bunch of doors for him and took him all over the world including a super interesting trip to North Korea that we get into a bit in this episode. But that sport also transformed his life at a spiritual and emotional level in a way that required serious investment in his craft over the course of decades. He was recently profiled in the New York Times, which tells his story very linearly, and everyone listening should definitely read it when they have a chance. But we spent some time talking about his life and his journey, one of the more revealing episodes that we've had so far. As always, as a disclaimer before we start, nothing on this episode should be considered financial advice. With that said, here's episode five of The Best Money I Ever Spent, presented by Rally, with one of the realest ping pong stars you'll ever meet, Wally Green. Wally, what's up, man? How are you? Good, good, man. Good, good. Hey, good to see you, bro. I know you've been I know you've been traveling a lot, so I know you're on the uh, on the tail end of a little bit of a hectic week all across the country on on red carpets, on tables. So I appreciate you making some time for us, dude. Starting to get bags under my eyes. See this? <laughs> That's that adult thing, man. That happens when you put in a career's worth of work, you start to get those. You know what I mean? That's just natural. Um, but dude, I, you had you had a a really incredible sort of journey. It's it's starting to get. It's always been documented, but now, like a couple weeks ago, you had the New York Times article, which it put it on a lot of people's radar, I think, in our network as people who sort of pay attention to what's happening in sports and investing and people who are sort of putting together like a real serious linear journey start to finish. It's one of those things that I'm glad people are starting to see it. I sort of took notice of you a few years ago. We started a rally and I saw what you were doing. We were aware of spin and a few other things that were happening. I was like, this kid's story is crazy. We'd love to catch up with him at some point. And I think I've kind of done the research. I know the story. We've talked a little bit about kind of your journey but I want to get everybody sort of familiar with it who's listening now. So starting in Brooklyn, before the international intrigue and the stories around the sport, I want to start back before you were playing on the big stage. In Brooklyn, in the Marlboro Houses, when you were growing up, you started high school, table tennis, traveling the world, all the diplomacy missions. That wasn't something you were really thinking about, if I'm not wrong in saying that. What was the, what was the day-to-day pre-table tennis or pre-ping pong for you? Oh, man. Um, growing up as a kid, uh, I grew up with a very abusive stepfather. So I, uh, my mom and dad divorced probably, I don't know when, because I don't have a memory of them together. Hmm. So my mom remarried an abuser, a narcissistic abuser. These are words, these are words that I learned actually in the last, during pandemic. So, so I, I didn't know what the traits were, but uh, because of Clubhouse, uh, going to some of these rooms, I, I started to say, oh my God, yeah, man, he's a narcissistic abuser. So yeah, uh, my mom used to get beat up all the time and so I grew up with a lot of hate um, a lot of anger um, every day of my life I was thinking of how I could kill my stepfather hmm. for beating up my mom this is what I thought about every single day um, 
to the point where, you know, even as like five, as early as five years old, I was trying to think of how I could take um, his, his capsules, his medicine and put boric acid because they, you know, they, they uh, growing up in the project, sometimes you had a lot of roaches and, and you could kill them with this powder called boric acid, you just put it on the floor. And I would think, I was always thinking of how I could take this acid and put it into his capsule so he would take it and die. So um, grew up like that, um, had a lot of anger management issues. So I joined a gang at a young age because um, that was a way to just take out whatever was going at home to take out other people. So um, by 13, I was already into guns. I was kind of very violent and um, yeah, it was, it was real, it was real crazy. But so that, so that obviously going through that, it changes a person, right? And it does, to your point, you know, we're around the same age. You get to a point over the course of a life and a career, you start to make sense of a lot of things later in life. And you look back and you start thinking about those moments and you see that journey. You were, you were an athlete in high school, but it wasn't, it wasn't table tennis. That wasn't a sport that you played. And that wasn't necessarily a love of the sport at first. Did you see that? Did you see sports as kind of an outlet at that point? Was that something that you put, you put, yeah. you put the yeah, attention yeah, and the energy yeah. into? So uh, first of all, I hated ping pong. I hated that sport. They had it in my school. I used to make fun of kids all the time. I, 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 I severely abused the kids who would play ping pong. This is in Lafayette too, right? Am I wrong in saying yeah. this is Lafayette High School? Gotcha. Yeah, because they had, it in, they had it in the lunchroom. And I used to walk <laughs> by coming from football. I'd be like, oh, look at these shorts. These kids with short shorts and a stick. It was so funny because they wore these, these little shorts. You know? <laughs> it was just a funny sport. Um, but yeah, I played sports. as a, Sports was my second way to not be home, right? Because, you know, with all the abuse going on at home, and for me, it was even worse because, you know, my mom had a child from my stepfather, right? So he was looked at as, as the good child. And I was looked at as, you know. The other the child. One. You were the other that child. Other. Yeah, the other. That's a good label, yeah. the other. And, um, yeah, so I just joined every sport in school that I could play that was a team, like an official sport that I could play so that. I would not have to be home that much. And then by the time I got home because of practices, I was kind of really numb to all the nonsense that was going on at home. So mm -hmm. that's why I joined. That's why I'm good at sports. I just joined every everything I could join. That's one of those things like natural athletes kind of have that. They always have that drive. They have that thing that kind of is like the little bit of that steam behind, the push from behind. So you find it, you see it. It's something you're making fun of a little bit, but it's there. It's around you. At what point do you start taking it seriously? At what point was it real? And then how does that transition into a thought in your head that it could be a career? Knowing that this is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, 15, 16, 17, you're in high school, you see it, now you start playing. At what point does it become like an actual real thing, a big part of your life? I was shooting pool. Pool, pool was another thing I thought I was good at. And uh, I was shooting pool and um, I, I, I had a pool stick. I had a very expensive pool stick, by the way. One that I had stolen. Well, I didn't really steal it. I kind of switched it for, I switched an expensive one, a cheaper one for an expensive one from the same shop. Nah, you borrowed yeah. it. It happens, man. Sometimes you, you got to get to where you got to get yeah, to. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. I borrowed it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this pool stick was nice. Like, it was the one that screwed in, had its own little, it was, it was cool, right? Came out the case. So, everybody loved, that was the one uh, everybody looks at and loves in the pool. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so I um, was playing pool. Um, I got hustled a little bit for some money. I, I used to like to bet. And um, I was pissed off. I took the pool stick slammed it down the table and it shattered hmm. and uh i got pissed off and i look across and guess what i see 
some Asian kids playing ping pong. <laughs> There's ping pong team in the pool. And so uh, I guess because I didn't, I hated that sport so much, I just had to go up to these kids and like bully them. So I went up to the kid. I was like, hey, um, I want to play. And the kid goes, do you play? I was like, I don't play. I just want I just want to get a hit. I just want to get a hit. So I took the, the racket and I went to hit the ball. But I think I was trying to hit him with the ball, <laughs> right? And uh, it went on the table and they were like, oh my God, that's amazing. You should go check out this this uh, ping pong club. I was like, what? Like there's a club where people actually gather together and play this. I was like, there's no way that's possible. He's like, no, no, you should check it out. So um, I went to check it out because I was an athlete and I said, there's no way that there's a place. And, I, and when I went there, I saw people playing, like standing far from the table and making noises and being all athletic. And I think... Um, one of the things that was very interesting for me seeing that for the first time was that actually everyone in there was black. Hmm. So it was kind of weird because, you know, I thought ping pong was like, you know, Asian sport, like only Asians play ping pong. Right. And everyone there was black and they were playing and I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. So then I got interested and I started playing a little bit. Um, like this old guy would play with me sometimes. Most of the, most of those guys would never play with me. But this old guy would play with me once in a while and beat me like 21, like two or three. And I was like, yo, I'm a seasoned athlete. How is this old dude in his like late 60s beating me at the sport? So that made me want to play more. I was like, this is crazy. There's no way this old dude can beat me. And I would try to try to, you know, beat this dude. And then um, eventually uh, a guy came around and saw me sitting down. I didn't have a partner because this old guy played with me sometimes. You know, he wasn't there all the time. And the guy was like, do you have a steady partner? And I was like, uh, no, I don't have a steady partner. And the guy goes, well, I can pay you $20 if you hit with me. Hmm. For every time you hit with me, I was like, whoa, $20. I was like, you know, and that's a hustle. And I didn't have no money then. I was like, 20 bucks for sure. So I played with this guy and, um, you know, we play, we talk a lot. And, you know, he, he, was, he was chill. I, I talk about my life at home, the shit that was going on at home and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, he, he was sort of like, <clears throat> maybe like a temporary father figure, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't really know because on my father's side, I had problems there too. Cause my father had, had another wife and she didn't like me for some other reasons. And it was just crazy. So this dude, I would always talk to him. Um, but for him, you know, things were like, it, it was like a TV show. Right. So he didn't really <laughs> understand the stuff I was going through because he doesn't know anyone going through that stuff. And, um, he, 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 uh, uh, one day was like, Hey, come play. So I went to play and then, uh, 22 fell out of my bag and, and hmm. he saw it and his eyes was like, it was like, you could see, like, if, if I was outside of myself, him watching, it was like puzzle pieces coming together. The, the like, TV show became real. The TV show he was watching became real. TV show became reality. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I just left because I wasn't trying to stay there to see you know, if he's going to call police. I don't know what he's going to do. So I left. And then I just kept thinking, man, there goes my $20. My $20 is gone. Yeah. And then he called me the next day. And he was like, oh, two days later, I remember. And he says, hey, are we still playing? I was like, what? So I was like, all right, you know, $20. Maybe he don't care. So I went down, played with the guy. And the guy was like, I want to invite you uh, to my house near Hunter. And, and, and Hunter Mountain's like two and a half hours away from New York City. That's where the ski resort is at. So I was like, this dude want to bring me to Hunter to meet his family. <laughs> it's 
going on? But uh, I was like, all right, whatever. So, you know, um, I went up there, I met his family. Uh, and uh, I guess he wanted to show me like what real family is supposed to be like. I played ping pong with them. And then he says, hey, I want to help you. Um, I want to pay for you to go to Germany to learn ping pong. And I was like, what? And at the time, Germany, the only thing I knew about Germany was Hitler. I was like, you're talking about Germany. And it was just, it was crazy. You know, he was like, yeah, I want to help you. And I was like, uh, okay. And and that's that's when it started. And how important do you think it is in sport in particular to have somebody, whether it's a mentor or someone around you like that, that can kind of shepherd that process? Because you're somebody too who, you know, you're anyone who sees your clips on YouTube or knows a little bit about, you knows how empathetic you are now and how sort of, how sort of, you know, friendly you are in situations that could go left, that you're somebody who really brings people together. How important do you think it is to have somebody like that, no matter what your background, no matter what your upbringing is, to sort of bring you along and show you the ropes in sport in particular and in this sport? I think, I think it's, it's super important. Um, I, I just think, you know, having someone that could actually help you potentially change your life, especially where I was going, because I tell you, if I didn't meet this guy, I probably would have not played ping pong. I probably would have been just um, just like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And then probably like three weeks later, I would not. Just said, oh, yeah, go back to it. Yeah. yeah. So now you're in Germany, right? So you get there. And now this is the start of, of would you say that's the start of your professional career at that point? Is that like the first sort of doors open? You're meeting new people. You're, you're playing at a, a much higher level at that point, too. Is that when you start thinking about this? This is a career. Well, this is something I'm going to do the rest of my life? No, definitely not. <laughs> it, it was it, it was. Like, for me, it was all like, okay, what the hell is going on? Even when I was in Germany, it, it was it was the start of the change of my mindset. That that was that was it. It was the start of me uh, changing because even though I went to Germany, it didn't mean I wasn't violent. It didn't mean I didn't hate everyone, right? I, I didn't change overnight. I went there and I hated everyone, and I was still violent and and um. But the crazy thing was, is they have this term, it's called killing you with kindness. Like that's mm -hmm. a real thing. So I was this angry kid and I wanted to be angry, but anger needs fuel, right? You know, with, without fuel, it's very hard to be angry when people are trying to be nice to you, right? It takes a very special individual to still be angry when people are trying to be nice. And everyone was being nice. Everyone was like, oh my God, you're from America. Whoa, you're amazing and blah, 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 blah. And, and I was like, what? And I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know... I wanted to be angry. I wanted to punch people in the face. And and, and yeah. I didn't know how to respond to all of this. And um it took like took like a maybe a month about. Um and um eventually, you know, sometimes I have this little thing that comes and talks to me on the side. And 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 a uh, little um I guess angel, whatever you want to call it, uh, goes, Hey man, why are you upset? Why are you angry? You're not being abused, you're not in America, you're not um, with your abusive stepfather, you're, you're in a totally different country where people actually and genuinely like you, right? And not because you can pick up your gun and not because if there's some drama, you're going to be there. No, because they genuinely likely like you just for you. So why are you angry? Why, why are you upset? And so it took about a month, maybe a month and a half for me to actually figure it out. And then that's when the mindset change came. Then I started being a lot nicer and I started talking more um, to, to the other kids. 
And then that's when that was the first change was the mindset change. I, I still didn't even think, I mean, I just played, I, I played every day and I did it cause I liked it. And, and uh, yeah, but I, even at that time in Germany, I, I never thought that at all. I just did it because it was something to do. But then, but then the mindset changes. It does, that happens to everybody too. Then it becomes like you start putting your time and your effort and your energy and your attention on something and it becomes so much more real when you have those people around you that are kind of patting you on the back too, that are saying like, you don't need people to say you're great or like cheerleaders all the time, but someone that respects your ability and yeah. respects you as someone brand new they just met, that changes mindsets and, and really sets that trajectory for a full career sometimes too. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, definitely. definitely. Yeah, so like, I, I mean, you're in Germany. I want to talk about this now, the sport. Like you... You turn you turn pro and you you know you're getting uh, at a certain point you're getting sponsors and you're you're sort of on the international stage at that point, and the sport itself looks of of, of table tennis and ping pong and I hate using those words interchangeably because I know it's kind of loaded like ping pong versus table tennis is a loaded word kind of to a certain degree. Okay, okay, okay. Let me give a little <laughs> Look, education start there. Yeah. on this right here. I call it ping pong. See, as right. you can see, my shirt says ping. It. Pong. And the reason I call it ping pong, I'm going to tell you, got two reasons. Number one reason why I call it ping pong, the best country in the entire world who dominates the sport, who dominates a sport more than any country in any sport calls it what? Ping, yeah, ping pong. pong. Secondly, let's, let's do some history because most of these players don't know their history. So I'm going to school them right now. I like it. It was always called ping pong. That was the name of the sport, ping pong, ping pong. So they call it, it had other names like Whiff Waff and some other, In the other UK, names. Yeah. But, but the name of the sport was called ping pong, right? What happened was is that Parker Brothers decided that they wanted to copyright the name ping pong, right? They made some game and they said, we're going to copyright this. And they copied, and they, I don't know how they did it, but they succeeded in copyrighted the name ping pong. So even till today, Parker Brothers owns the name Ping Pong, right? Now, in order for the U.S. US Association to say uh, 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 USA uh, Pro Ping Pong Tournament, they would have to do what? They would have to pay Parker Brothers money to use the name. And they said, we're not going to do that. That's crazy. Why are we going to pay to use a name that's a sport? Then table tennis was formed. If, if Parker Brothers never, ever copyrighted the name ping pong it would be called ping pong there would be no table tennis damn wally just took you to school wally took everybody to school just now that's it it needs to be said <laughs> but it's right you're right it, it, also it's one of those sports that like it is what it is for the person who's playing it like you want it to be one thing someone else wants to be something else it's still this international game it's in different countries everybody takes it seriously in their own right you're gonna call it what you're gonna call it wait and then one more thing historical moment in American history. It's not called the table tennis diplomacy. It's called yeah, it's ping what? Pong diplomacy. Ping pong diplomacy. diplomacy. Yeah. There you go. Now you hit on the head, man. But that's why like in the US, because to your point, China is, it's, the big, it's one of the biggest sports in China. You have 80 million or something people playing on a daily basis. You have, you know, three of the top five players in the world. It's the most medals, uh, Olympic medals of any country are, uh, are ping pong medals in China. But in the U.S., particularly here in New York and like in tech, it's looked at a little bit differently than in other parts of the world, in Asia in particular. 
do you what, what's the biggest difference playing here in the u.s versus playing abroad because you've played in in something like 20 countries you've been all over the world playing you've played yeah. with all different levels of opponent what's the biggest difference between playing here in new york and playing internationally um when you're here it's more fun i mean even training even training here uh, in new york i mean if if you go to like um west coast let's say you go to millipedes in west coast there's like a very, very serious table tennis club where these kids are extremely training seriously, like they're in China because a lot of the coaches they brought from China, right? Yeah. But um, in the general here, it, 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 it's more fun. Like you have to really mentally force yourself to be serious, right? Hmm. But when you travel, when you travel to another country, you're always serious, right? And the reason why you're always serious is because you have something to prove. Right. So if Korean national team, which I've practiced with before, says, hey, uh, we want you to come practice in Korea, I'm going to be 50 million times serious to the, the, the most serious I could be. Right. Because I got yeah. something to prove. You know, I'm a black dude You're playing up to your opponent, You're playing up to like the state. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got to be really, really serious and really focused and and try to get through whatever the drills that they're doing, no matter how difficult it is. That's and that's a that's a good point. It's like you're gonna not necessarily even play up to your opponent, but when you're in sort of someone else's home court, you're not home. You're not doing it in a way where it's like you control the table. It's somebody else's. Yeah. You gotta kind of change your mannerisms a little bit and change how serious you're taking it a little bit. Like there's no choice. You gotta kind of adapt a little bit on the fly, right? Right, right, exactly. So and and that brings me to the to something that you've talked about in the past, but the the kind of hustle that you had overseas. So when you got to, I believe it was when you got to Japan. They thought you were a rapper, and you've said this before. So it was kind of an adaption where it's like, all right, they, they think I'm a rapper. Like, I'm going to rap and turn that into a little bit of a hustle out there, too, and get a little bit of a check out of it. What is it like for someone who's on the come up like that, going somewhere else, you're being treated a little bit crazy, and you have to integrate into society? At what point do you feel comfortable enough, like, getting to the tables with the best in the world, even though you're still doing, like, these side hustles, and you're trying to figure out how to sort of assimilate into a society that's not yours? Well... Before table tennis, I was already rapping. Fair. So, so yeah, so 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 rapping was actually something I did. So they were right when you got to Japan. They were right. You were a rapper. Yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 were right. Um, the the hip hop started in Japan, uh, just like it starts in most countries. For me, is I go to a club and I see um, Japanese people rapping. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I, and then I want to be involved. And and that's how right. that and that's how that kind of started. So Japan is one thing, and that's something that, you know, from a Western perspective, is a place that everybody wants to go, especially like designers and tech. It's this hub oh, yeah. for so many unique and so many interesting Crazy. things. Great, like a place I've never been to that I want to go to more than anywhere else. But Amazing. North Korea is a whole different world. And I want to ah. talk to you a little bit as some, you're the only person, I, I know one other person has been to North Korea actually, but you're one of the only people I know that's been there and has played on an international stage there, no question. A, how do you even get, first I want to know how do you even get to North Korea and how do you find yourself there? And then I want to get to the story that goes with it, which is super important and super interesting too. But how do you even wind up in North Korea? So um, <clears throat> I think um, it was the year after I had just, I had just done the Steve Harvey show. So, so I had started doing a lot of media and, and, and the last thing I did was Steve Harvey show. And I was trying to say, man, I need to do something big this year. That's how it started. I need to do something big this year. I just did the Steve Harvey show last year. Um, what big thing could I do that's, you know, bigger than me? 
something. So I didn't know. Um, I happened to be checking my tournaments uh, for the year to see what countries I was going to play because I, I usually pick and choose the countries I want to play in. I, I try to cluster them. So if China, Japan, Korea are in the same uh, four or five months, I'll just go live in Asia for four or five months. And that way I can get around. And um, I saw I was going through the tournaments and I saw Pyongyang, North Korea. I was like, what? I looked at it. No way. I said, there's no way. Checked it again. I was like, oh, snap. It's North Korea. I was like, I got to go there. I said, I got to go there because immediately what came up to me was uh, the, the 1971 ping pong diplomacy. And it, it was a click. And then, you know, when I first started like practicing in America, like training, training, I played with a guy. He passes what he passed away. Uh, re, he passed away recently, actually, very recently. I played away with a played with a guy who was on the 1971 diplomacy team. So he was on the team. He was the only black guy on the team. His name is George Braithwaite. He passed away. And I played, this is a dude that I played with like all till like three in the morning, bro, three in the morning. So he was on that team. He's a living history. And so it, it just clicked. It just clicked. And at the time, you know, America and North Korea was going back and forth, you know, all this craziness. And, and um, it just, it immediately clicked. And I was like, oh my God, I need to go to North Korea to do a diplomacy for world peace through my sport the same way they did in 1971. And uh, I had no plan. I had no plan. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I, I had no idea of how, how do you do a diplomacy for world peace? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But how I do you even I get to North to... Korea? Like, I wouldn't even know how to start there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I But the first plan was getting there. And so right. I, I just called the U.S. team and says, hey, um, I want to participate in the North Korea tournament in, in North Korea because it's an international competition. It's open to the world, but none of the world went. <laughs> just, and no Amer and no to, to keep it real too, no Americans even thought to go. There was no Americans, Americans in the tournament. You were the only forget one. Forget about Americans. No one like <laughs> other countries. I contacted right. so many people from around the world. I was like, yo, I want to go to North Korea. Let's do this diplomacy world peace. We can go as a team, like a delegation. Everybody was like, are you crazy? We're not going there. Are you, are, are you, no way. We're going to get, no, you're going to get killed. You're never going to, every single person told me. So I said, okay, you guys don't win. If you, if you guys don't want to go, I'll go with myself. And so I just went, I went, I went, I went alone. I had the, I, I had the um, U.S. team just make the accreditation. So they, they, they have to enter me into the tournament because you can't enter right. yourself. The yeah. association is to enter you. So they enter me into the tournament and then, I go back and forth with the um, Secretary General from North Korea, go back and forth. And I had to go to Beijing to go get my um, visa. And then that's how it started. It's crazy. Me that's crazy. Doing it by myself. Yeah. That's what you got to do sometimes, but that's part of the hustle. Bro, that's part of the hustle. Yes, man. Just doing it yourself sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, you really can't believe like people, everyone was scared. Like no one wanted to go. It was crazy. That was a yeah. That was a crazy moment too. That was a crazy moment. And the countries that were there were countries like Syria, Vietnam, of course China. Those are the ones that were there, and me. That's I mean. So that's like that leads me to the actual match. And so now you're matched up against a North Korean playing on his home court against an American, against someone who doesn't look like everybody else that's there. There's a clip of the match on YouTube, and it's made his rounds on social media a bit. The crowd is cheering against basically any misstep that you have during that match. Any any mistake made 
it's like a wall of happiness at your loss, basically. But it didn't get to you, and you lost the match, but you took it upon yourself to go to the other side of the table. You expressed your respect for your opponent. You gave him a hug in this moment that was like a really, really unique moment that was like the opposite of the stoic and kind of insulated North Korea that we know. What was your thought yeah. process in that moment? The match ends, and you walk across the table to really have that conversation and embrace this person who really doesn't even know, probably has never had that type of embrace before from anybody in a match like that. What was your thought process in that moment? Right. Even before we get to that moment, let's talk about the beginning moment. The beginning moment was even crazier because, you know, in North Korea, they're taught that Westerners, especially Americans, are the devil, we're evil, we, we should be killed, all kinds of craziness. And as I was walking out, I'm coming out to the, um, to the uh, 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 stadium to play. You, you have your uh, referee, your North Korean, your referee, and me. And we're all walking out. And as we're walking out, there's like over 5,000 people about in the state, I mean, sitting in the audience who are all North Koreans. And they're all looking at you. And you can feel, hmm. listen, it's, it's the craziest thing in the world to feel people looking at you. I mean, people feel one person looking at them. Like when you walk in the street, if someone's like this, you, you feel no, it. This is, this is tens of thousands in unison staring it's through you. It's crazy. You know I mean? yeah. it's, and then the sound. And it, the, 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 the sound, you know, like when Michael Jordan walks out, yeah, it's, you know, it's good. Now I was walking out. This sound was just eerie. It was crazy. And um, we get to the table and then we start playing. Every time I made a point, every time I made a point, like I went up early, 5-0. Boy, I was on fire. I was ready, man. Once I, once, once they said, let's go, focus mode came. And I, I was going to beat mm-hmm. this dude. And then, um, but every time I made a point, there was a sound that went, hmm. Now hmm. picture everyone making this sound. It's crazy. In unison at the exact same time, too. And yeah. every time I did, mm, whoa. And I was like, this is crazy. And then bringing you t- to your um, your point, when he started to make a point, it was like it was the finals of the Olympics. Hmm. And every time he made a point, it got louder and louder and louder to the point where I could not concentrate. I was like, Yo, this is madness. That's the craziest home court ever, dude. North Korea is the craziest home court advantage ever. Crazy. And I was starting to get a little angry. <laughs> I started to get pissed off. Uh, you know, the because old you know, coming back. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I was, get, I was getting pissed off because I can't concentrate. And I was starting to lose at this point, too. Yeah. The, the score was just going like this. And uh, normal me would have probably like just like started cursing people out. Um, but then I remembered my purpose why I went there and I looked up and uh, I just smiled. I just looked up and I, went, I started smiling. And then guess what? People started smiling and you could hear like a little chuckle. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, this is where it's going to happen. Because up until then I had no plan. Right. I could have had bad luck, played a Chinese and a Syrian and that's it. There would have been no diplomacy. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, I remember why I was there and I looked up and smiled. And then, like I said, you heard these chuckles a little bit. I was like, wait a minute, that's interesting. So I'll play again. I would look up and smile again. And then everyone started smiling. So in you, like everyone, it was like a chain reaction. Everyone, everyone was reacting to me. And I was like, oh man, this is super cool. This is where it's happening. It's right here, right here. So I, I start playing now, not to win, but to engage the people who 
hate me, the people who are supposed to hate me and, and taught that I'm the devil. So I'm engaging them or playing the match. And when I win a point, guess what? Some people are clapping for me Cut now. into a little bit. Uh... Right, right. Some like, like, like some people start to clap for me now. And at the end, my opponent wind up winning the match. And um, he comes to, uh, well, we go to shake each other's hands, right? And you can tell he and you can tell he doesn't want to shake my hand, right? Because um, in 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 North Korea, what are they taught to hate us? So yeah, that's I mean, that's a sign of weakness a little bit too, like shaking your hand yes. at that point and giving that respect a little bit of a sign of weakness. Yes, and 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 he gives this. You know, when you don't want to shake someone's hand, your hand goes first, but your body stays behind. That's not like that's a real point. handshake. You know what I'm saying? You, you yeah. kind of go like this. Your hand goes out, but your body is is, is back there. You're keeping so distance. Push, keeping a little bit of distance. Yeah, it's keeping distance. Yeah, yeah. So he tried yeah. to pull one of those. And I was like, nah, bro. It's not going to happen today. Grabbed him. So he grabbed him by his hand, pulled him in, and just gave him a big hug. Now, the most amazing thing about that was my camera, it's still in the video. It's facing my yeah. back, his face. Look at his face. At first, his face was like this. Like, yeah, he didn't fuck? know what to do. It's true. But then he smiled. Yeah. Right, he smiled. He smiled. He smiled. You can't fake that. You cannot fake that. That is real. Like he had some emotion that made him smile. If if I went to North Korea just to get that one smile, right, it was well worth it. But it wasn't only the smile. I captured the crowd as well. So I always say that you know you 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 can't change people overnight, but it's our job to plant the seed. Right. And by giving that hug and showing love and not hate was me planting the seed so that in the future, whenever the government says some crazy thing about Americans, someone's going to say, wait a minute. You know what? I remember this American guy with the crazy hair who showed us nothing but love. They will never forget that moment. He will never in his life for it would take a lot of brainwashing, a lot <laughs> to forget that hug that he got. He's never going to forget it. So That's yeah, it was totally a success. And and that that leads me to the point that you brought up in the New York Times article a couple of weeks ago, where you know you've always called it, and especially recently, like the sport of love. It's one of those things where it brings people together, and it's something where two people on the on opposite sides of a table are in that moment, and you're kind of fighting that same battle. Do you do you look at, you know, where you come from, the journey you've been on? Do you look at at ping pong or table tennis as your therapy? Is that is that the way that you work through frustration? Is that something where you, you feel like it's a journey that's not ending, that's part of your process at this point to make you a better person? Or do you feel like it's, it's a sport at this point? Have you still kind of, do you still have that same love that you had early on for it? No, no, I, 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 I still uh, have the same love for it. I mean, I have a love for another sport as well, which is paddle tennis, but um, I, I have the same love for, for ping pong as well. It, it is therapy. Like yesterday, I was exhausted. Literally, the day before yesterday, I played uh, four hours, five hours paddle tennis and four hours ping pong. And I was, ex and, and when I'm playing, I'm playing either with my little paddle, which takes a lot of energy out of me to play with good players with my little paddle, or with my cell phone. So I played this, I played one of the top pickleball players with my cell phone. It was crazy. Yeah, anyone who hasn't seen this too, you got to look up uh, Wally on YouTube, like playing at a really high level with an iPhone. It's really ridiculous it's to watch. Crazy. Yeah. So, so I was exhausted. I was exhausted yesterday. And, um, but you know, I was a little, like a little stressed, a, a little stressed out. And, and um, I wanted to get that stress out. So I called my friend who's actually a good player. 
to go and play. I couldn't move. You should have seen me. Hmm. It was kind of, I was just so tired. But even though I was in pain, I couldn't move, I still played, right? And, and I got the stress out and I came home and I felt good. Even even when you're tired, it's something that you know you'll get something great out of it. Even if you beat uh, up, yes. if you're stressed out, it's something you know you're going to get something good out of it. So you got to keep going at that point, right? You did it. You did a TED talk last month. Um, you know, you've had a you've had wild stories and a wild journey. We've touched on some of it. What's the What's the one thing you would change about the whole journey at this point, if anything? Nothing. That's the perfect Nothing. answer. That's perfect I, answer. I, I would never change anything because the things that I went through are, are what made me the person I am today. And even those bad things, you know, um, the abuse. You know, what did the abuse teach me? It taught me what not to do, right? Um, it, 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 I, growing up with the kind of stepfather who beat up my mom and, 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 and always talked down to me, it taught me what not to do. Because I never, I believe like if you really hate someone, you don't want anything to do with that person or anything to do with what that person does or did. And I truly, 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 truly hated my stepfather more than anyone. So I never want to be like him. So with that in mind, I never want to be abusive. I never want to tell someone that, you know, you're going to wind up dead or in jail. You know, you, you have, you're, you're useless. You're worthless. Like all these things he said, I never want to do that because I never want to be like him. So it, 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 it's it, all part it, of the journey. Yes. Yeah, so that's why I would, I would never change. So on the, we, we like to end things with a couple of quick questions, like some rapid fire stuff about your life, your career. I got a couple quick, the first of which, what's the most intense match you've ever played? Intense match. Let me see. Oh, against China, against, mm -hmm. against uh, a player called Liang Jinkun. He, he made actually the quarterfinals of world championships, last world championships. And uh, that was the most intense match because everything I did perfect, he did better. <laughs> <laughs> every, every great shot I made, he made a better one. And it was and it was just complete madness. But I think, you know, playing with my little paddle and cell phone gets a lot of intense matches. That's good too. I've seen those on like on YouTube at spin and at a couple other spots too. Like that's it, that's interesting to watch. Everyone's gotta watch that if you haven't seen it. What's the, the first thing you did with the first check you got off ping pong? Shit, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that's good. That just that just means it's a passion. It's not something you think about for the money. It's a, like yeah, yo, that's the I, best way to make it real, you know. My my first check actually came from Rockstar Games when I, when I made the video game with them. That was my first check, real check related to ping pong. That was amazing. That's that that's like to like Rockstar even now. But when you got that, when that was the first sponsorship, I remember like getting reading about that and seeing it. Rockstar was like the big name. That's the game company you wanted to go with. And they were doing all Grand the biggest Auto. stuff. That's it. That's it. Grand Killed Auto. it. Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, it's the full franchise. What, last question. You're somebody who found ping pong, you know, in high school. But that said, in a lot of the Asian countries, it's, it's from birth. It's one of those things where it's like a huge, huge sort of thing that everybody grows up with and grows up around. What do you say to somebody who finds their passion a little bit later and wants to start something new later in life? How do you feel... What, what's the best advice that you can give in a situation where someone finds something they love, has to build up the expertise in it, but they're doing it a little bit later on? I always say, man, go for it. If you, you, everyone's not going to find their passion at the same time. It's impossible. People find it differently. You may find it when you're a kid. You may find it 
when you're, you know, well into your older age. But when you do find it, go for it. You have to go for it because it, it's 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 going to fulfill you. It's going to fulfill your soul. And people are going to tell you you can't do it or or, or, or it's not going to work. All these crazy things people are going to tell, you just need to block that out. You have to block all of that out. And, 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 and it brings me to this quote. And I love this quote. I love it so much that I used it in my TEDx talk. Bees don't waste their time explaining to flies why honey is better than shit. So just remember that the next time someone comes up to you and tries to destroy your dreams. Yep. Wally, that's a hit. That's a hit. Dude, I appreciate it, man. I'll end it there. Sincerely yeah, appreciate it, bro. And thank you again, man. We'll catch up soon, bro. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. So there you go. Episode five is in the books. We touched on it briefly, but Wally is the co-founder of SPIM. That's a table tennis club that started here in New York. That's all over the country now. But you can find him at the Midtown location in between speaking engagements and competitions that he has. But if you find him, he'll play you with like one hand tied behind his back or he plays using his iPhone as a paddle. He'll let you have a chance, basically. But he's one of those people who's super approachable. He lights up the room when he's in it. So if he's there, when you're there, you'll definitely know. As a final reminder, do not listen to me or anyone for investment advice. Always do your own research and be sure to read the disclaimer on rallyrd.com before making any investments. All investments involve risk. This is no different, and past performance is never an indication of future performance. I'm Rob Petrozo. I'll be back next week with another episode from another creator who's constantly pushing the envelope. You can find us on rallyroad.com. That's rallyrd.com, at rally on Instagram, and at onrallyrd on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything in between. Until next week.